This podcast is brought to you by sarahraven.com, which is home to everything you need for a truly beautiful and productive garden. You'll also find great and essential gardening kit and stylish, lovely things to have in your house to bring the outside indoors, all inspired by the garden and the house being tied together. There's also plenty of garden inspiration, how-to videos and specialist growing guides. So head over to sarahraven.com today to discover even more. Welcome to Grow Cookie to Range, the podcast of me, Sarah Raven, and I'm doing the Kitchen Garden mini-series. And this is actually episode six of seven. So we've got uh, seven in this mini-series. And the idea is to give you the absolute sort of golden nuggets of veg growing. And it's really funny. I remember someone saying to me when I was teaching many years ago now, towards the end of the day, she said to me, why haven't you covered pests and diseases in this veg course? Because that's the main reason I came. And I said, well, to be honest, because I just don't think you get that many pests and diseases in the veg garden, or at least we don't seem to here, apart from, of course, slugs and snails, which I'm coming on to. But I realized that was a bit smug. And of course, there are pests and diseases. And of course, when you're a beginner, they're very, very disheartening because you spend your time sewing stuff and then the slugs and snails eat it not you and that's depressing so what do we do here to avoid pests and diseases well many things but i just want to give you a kind of really potted story of it so the first thing is that we honestly do almost no direct sewing here at all perhaps in june and july uh, when it's really hot in the polytunnel, and so things will struggle, we might do direct sowing. But even then, we probably wouldn't. We would sow into gutters or modules or seed trays, but have them outside on the north face of the polytunnel. But we do not sow them or very rarely sow them straight into the ground. Now, the reason for that is if you have got a slug and snail population, just as they pop up their little heads, your seedlings, the slugs and snails eat them off because you've laid them out a lovely dinner party every night. So you go to bed, out come the slugs and snails because they're mainly nocturnal and you have provided them in the most delicious dinner party of the things that have germinated in the 12 hours before and they munch the lot. So you come out and you can see the slime trails but not much else. Anyway, that goes on and on. That is depressing. So I would really say think of avoiding direct sowing if you've got a big slug and snail problem and perhaps so into gutter pipes, which takes no more time. The second thing that we use very, very genuinely, genuinely and generally here is companion planting. And that is more against pests, against mildew, for instance, but also it really, really helps introducing the good invertebrates like ladybirds and lacewings that eat the things you don't want so much, like aphids. And so we grow groves of tagetes. I particularly like a variety called Linnaeus with our tomatoes. We grow summer savory with our broad beans. They both bring in lace wings, which then eat the aphids. 
We also grow basil underneath our tomatoes. Again, they attract in the good bugs to eat the bad bugs. And so we, we literally everywhere here, there is a kind of flower vegetable interrelationship, um, which is called companion planting, which really, really, really seems to work. The next and final sort of general strand here is that we encourage garden birds hugely into the garden. And I've mentioned before, so I don't want to bang on about it, but Adam, my husband, is writing a book about woodland and garden birds. And the more we learn, the more we realize we need to learn. But there is no doubt that having a high bird population in your garden, which you keep hold of in the winter with nesting boxes, will mean that then the mature birds will be feeding their fledglings in their nest, slugs, snails, caterpillars, aphids, because they like the protein, just when you're planting your things out, because that's when lots of fledglings are hatching, so in April and May. And so having lots of the tip family, lots of the finch family, which feed up from feeders and in the air and from trees, and lots of robins, thrushes, and blackbirds, which are ground feeders more, will mean that you've got that double thing. So the aphids and the caterpillars are eaten by the little birds, and the larger birds are going to eat your slugs and your snails. And that noise is a thrush killing a snail, and that is to be celebrated. So clap your hands every time you hear that. So in terms of the most common things that you will get in a vegetable garden, and what we do about them here. So the first is obviously aphids and white fly, classic in a greenhouse. You might get that on your tomatoes, or you might get that annoying aphid, which looks almost like ash on your brassicas. And the best answer for those are either the Nicotiana family, which is really good against the little ash-like aphid in your brassicas, or Tagetes and marigolds, and the calendulas too. They are really brilliant against aphids. Slugs and snails, as I've already mentioned, birds are the way to go. If you don't have a population of birds at all, start trying to build one up. But until that time, use nemeslug, which is a biological control, which you water onto your beds, and it will then kill particularly snugs, but also has some effect on snails. If you have pigeons and other things that are stripping your brassicas, for instance, then I think the best thing of all are those things called buzz lines, which is you put two canes and you put, it's like a, a cassette tape that has been unwoven from its plastic and it goes in a very high pitch and apparently pigeons really hate that noise and so it really repels them. So it's a very good physical barrier. You can, of course, do the you know, the CDs flying around or windmills or whatever, and they don't like that. But buzz lines in our trials here have been the most effective. Mildew is another thing that we find here, but that's obviously a disease, not a pest. And what I would say with that is manure and mulch, manure and mulch. So well-fed and well-watered plants, which will be helped by manure and mulching, but also by carbonate of soda mixed into water with a teaspoon of sunflower oil and a teaspoon of washing up liquid or liquid soap, which the oil and the soap help the bicarb stick on the leaf. It makes a slightly more sort of sticky solution so it doesn't just wash into the ground. And we found that incredibly helpful against mildew and things like courgettes. 
And then finally, back to a pest, flea beetle, which I mentioned um, when I was talking about any of the brassica salads, particularly wild rocket and salad rocket in episode four. So with that, I find, again, physical protection is the best way. So either enclose them at the worst moment in the year, which tends to be from the end of April until the middle of August. And so protect your crops with EnviroMesh or any sort of woven but light and water permeable fleece. Or if you don't want that because it's ugly, get yourself one of those rather horrible yellow sticky fly strips and literally as if you're ruffling someone's hair, walk along the line um, with somebody just ahead of you with an unraveled fly strip and you walk behind just teasing over the row and the the flea beetle will hop up and stick on the yellow fly strip. And that is a really good way of keeping on top of the numbers of flea beetle in your garden. So pests and diseases, companion planting, really, really, really important and really sort of helps protect, particularly against aphids. But slugs and snails, it's the birds. To protect against the bigger birds, you want buzz lines. Against flea beetle, you want a yellow fly strip. And against mildew, which is the disease which is commonest in the veg garden, you want manure and mulch. So that, in a nutshell, is how we protect against pests and diseases here, which now, fingers crossed, we really don't get too much or too many. So the final episode in this mini-series, concentrating on kitchen gardens, is the things that if you have a tiny garden or just a few pots, what are the eight best things that I really recommend that you grow? And if it's four, I'll tell you which four. But if you've got room for eight, it's the eight best things for a mini urban garden. You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes we talk about on this podcast by heading to the show notes or at sarahraven.com forward slash podcast.